You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, March 3, 2023 edition of the Greeley Tribune. My name is Thomas Fears. Today we'll be following the following main articles. New Map Okade Despite Opposition by Trevor Reed. To be honest, it was a blur by Bobby Fernandez. Windsor defeats Meade in quarterfinals by Bobby Fernandez. And Our Boys Came Up Clutch by Bobby Fernandez. And following up with miscellaneous articles. Weld County Commissioner Districts. New map okayed despite opposition. Critics say county's process violated state law. County says home rule charter supersedes that law. By Trevor Reed. T-R-E-I-D at GreeleyTribune.com The Weld County Commissioners on Wednesday morning approved changes to the county's three districts. Despite accusations, the county's process for drawing the new boundaries violated state law. After receiving nearly 50 written comments opposing the map, and just one written comment supporting it, the commissioners approved the change which moves three precincts in Longmont and Decono from District 2 to District 3 and makes no other changes to the map. Commissioners Mike Freeman, Scott James, Kevin Ross, and Perry Buck voted to approve the proposed map, and Commissioner Lori Sane abstained, citing her potential candidacy for District 3. Freeman represents District 1 and is term-limited, James represents District 2 and could run for third term in 2026. Critics of the county's new district said the map continues a decades-long practice of gerrymandering and violates a state law passed in 2021 that outlines the redistricting process for counties. The law, titled County Commissioner District Gerrymandering, requires counties with commissioner districts to create a redistricting commission that must abide by certain rules of transparency and outreach, as well as follow certain criteria for the new districts. The criteria include maximizing the number of competitive districts and preserving communities of interest and political subdivisions, such as cities and towns. Weld County Attorney Bruce Barker, after public comments at Wednesday morning's regular meeting that pointed out the county did not follow the new law, told the commissioners nothing in the law states home rule counties must comply. Barker said the county indicated to the bill's sponsor before it became law that home rule counties weren't included and that the bill was never adjusted to include home rule counties. Barker said the Colorado Constitution gives home rule counties the ability to establish how the county is organized and the way it's structured, including how districts are set up. Representative Chris Kennedy, Democrat Lakewood, who sponsored the legislation, disagrees. The law was absolutely intended to apply to home rule counties, as the Weld County commissioners know from the conversations we had about it at the time, he said in an email. A February 2021 legal opinion from the Office of Legislative Legal Services explains the Colorado Constitution limits the scope of county home rule to the organization and structure of county government. This does not include redistricting, according to the office's analysis of organization and structure, which isn't defined in the state constitution, law, or case law. 
Organization and structure instead refer to the number, terms of office, eligibility, and compensation of county officers and when they're elected, according to the six-page opinion, which analyzed the state constitution's language on home rule counties. In my opinion, the Weld County commissioners are blatantly violating the law in order to preserve their own political power, Kennedy wrote in an email. If they don't change course, I don't think the courts will find their interpretation of home rule to be well-founded. The bill's fiscal note, a statement prepared by Legislative Council staff explaining the estimated fiscal impact, names Weld County as one of the three counties affected by the legislation. Given the dispute over whether the state law applies to the county, it's possible someone may take the county to court over the issue. County residents who disagree with the process could also petition for a ballot measure to change the county's charter process for redistricting, Barker noted. Stacy Suniga, president of the Latino Coalition of Weld County and one of five speakers who opposed the county's redistricting process at Wednesday's meeting, said there's a group of people, including the coalition, considering taking some action after the map's approval, possibly including a lawsuit. It seems to me like the county commissioners of Weld are just anything anti-state, and I think it's just foolish and really unreasonable to let the people of the county to continue to just defy the state, even the rules that could benefit their own constituents, she said. Barb Winery a spokeswoman for the League of Women Voters Greeley-Weld County, said the local league is keeping in close contact with the League of Women Voters of Colorado as they try to decide the next steps. The Greeley-Weld League opposed the map, citing concerns about potential violation of state law and calling the commissioners voting on the map that impacts their jurisdictions a major conflict of interest. We're certainly going to get more clarification on the state law and how it applies to home rule, Winery told the Greeley Tribune after the vote. We had to take a first step someplace, and that was it. In a written comment, Greeley City Councilman Tommy Butler criticized in particular the division of Greeley into all three commissioner districts, including the Latino population in East Greeley, which falls into District 1 with the northern half of Weld County. Much of West Greeley is in District 2, which includes communities along the I-25 corridor south to Colorado 52. Southeast Greeley is in District 3, with the rest of the county. Butler called the proposed map plainly gerrymandering. The commissioners stood behind the process, including Sane, who said it was the first time she'd heard any negative feedback throughout the entire process. Ross, Buck, and James argued the splitting of Greeley across three districts helps foster a good urban-rural mix for representation at the county level. Freeman said this year, his 11th as a county commissioner, is the first time less than two of the commissioners live in Greeley. Buck is a resident of Greeley. Before the vote, James read over the county's charter section on commissioner districts. The charter states there are three districts that the board shall review the boundaries when necessary, but not more often than every two years, and that it shall revise and alter the boundaries so the districts are nearly equal in population as possible. That is our instructions as per our charter, which is what we follow, and we have followed our instructions, James said. Outdoors. To be honest, it was a blur. 
Johnstown fisherman reels in the catch of a lifetime while traveling to Texas for a son's junior hockey tournament by Bobby Fernandez, B-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z at GreeleyTribune.com. When Johnstown resident Matt Carlson and his family took a trip deep into the heart of Texas a few weeks ago for Carlson's son's hockey tournament, Carlson couldn't help but kill two birds with one stone. The local fishing hole, 20,000-acre O.H.I.V. Lake, was a bucket-list lake for Carlson, as it is for many avid bass fishermen. Arguably, there isn't a lake in the country, much less in the bass-rich Lone Star State, that is hotter right now when it comes to producing fish of a lifetime. And the Florida strain largemouth bass Carlson reeled in on February 17 certainly will provide Carlson and his family memories that will last a lifetime. Not to mention a lifelike replica of the giant bass that will likely last just as long. Flying down to Texas for his son's junior hockey tournament with the Colorado Junior Eagles travel team, Carlson booked a fishing trip with Texas guide Dalton Smith. In the final moments of that trip, Carlson hooked up with a 13.29-pound behemoth, a true OHIV lunker. My son was fishing with us, and he and Dalton were getting hungry, ready to eat, Carlson said. So Dalton said, hey, we're going to hit this next spot up here. There's a chance a big one lives here, but we're going to hit these two points, and then we'll go in for lunch. I cast right where he tells me to, and he goes, you got one following it. He's watching on the electronics, and then he goes, you got it. And then the next thing you know, I just feel dead weight. This was Carlson's first time fishing in the famed state of Texas, home of many of the top big bass fisheries in the country. But it wasn't his first time reeling in a largemouth, weighing double digits, the type of fish most anglers work a lifetime for. Carlson had previously caught three bass in the 10-pound range in three different states, Florida, Nebraska, and right here in Colorado. The big bass caught in Colorado and Nebraska are in the state record range. Carlson is a member of the Johnstown Shields Pro Staff, advising fishermen on gear and technique selection. He is also an active tournament angler and the individual tournament director for the Centennial Bass Club, based out of northern Colorado. He runs an Instagram page, at Fishing Colorado, with more than 3,000 followers. So, suffice it to say, Carlson is a bit more advanced than your average weekend angler. Still, even with his vast experience, when he reeled in his 13.29-pound monster from OHID, Carlson felt like a child catching their first fish all over again. Once you hit the 10-pound mark, every pound over 10, the bass just grow wider, Carlson said. They don't grow longer, like a muskie or a pike. They just start getting taller and wider. Perhaps the most nerve-wracking moment during his epic and triumphant quest for this monster bass was when Carlson was convinced the bass had shaken his hook and wiggled loose after making a beeline to the surface of the water. It was too big to even get out of the water. It just kind of belly flopped, Carlson said. Then I thought we lost it. My line went limp. The fish actually started swimming straight toward the boat. 
According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, Carlson's catch was the 643rd addition to the state's Share Lunker program. Through the program, fishermen that catch a 13-plus pound bass can loan it to the TPWD for a selective breeding and stocking program. Fishery biologists will harvest the eggs of the genetically superior fish and put them back into the fish's home water, with hopes a famed reservoir like O.H. Ivy will continue to provide anglers with catches of a lifetime for years to come. The Share Lunker program offers four levels of participation. The Lunker class, for bass at least 8 pounds or 24 inches. The Elite class, for bass 10 plus pounds. The Legend class, for 13 plus pound bass. And the Legacy class, for 13 plus pounders caught during Texas's spawning period from January through March. As tense as the battle was with the magnificent fish, Carlson didn't exactly have a chance to calm his nerves in the moments immediately after the catch. He and Smith, who also has a 14.76-pound share lunker and two legend-class lunkers on his resume, worked urgently and feverishly to keep the fish healthy, as a TPWD official quickly made their way to the dock where Carlson and Smith were. We get to the boat ramp, I'm still shaking, and the next thing you know, people are coming in off the lake to see the fish, Carlson said. To be honest, it was a blur. I was shaking so bad. Once I saw that fish in the net, I knew it was big. We just didn't know how big. In exchange for loaning his bass to TPWD, Carlson will receive a kit filled with merchandise, a legacy-class decal, and a high-quality replica mount of his fish. Also, Carlson is invited, with VIP access, to the Toyota Share Lunker Annual Awards, which will take place in the next few months. Carlson plans to, again, squeeze in a few hours of fishing when he returns to Texas. Dalton has a Share Lunker of the Year, he said, so yeah, There is a good chance he and I are going to head back out for another fun trip. Bobby Fernandez covers sports for the Greeley Tribune. Reach him at 970-392-4478, by email at bfernandez at greeleytribune.com, or on Twitter at Bobby D. Fernandez. New business. Couple launches home care business. True Blue Total House Care opening in Greeley. By Morgan McKenzie. M-M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E at GreeleyTribune.com A local business owner reached a point in his life when he began worrying about his parents remaining in their home as they age. One reason is the senior population's lack of ability to focus on home care, maintenance, and upkeep. Fortunately, Jeff Sloan and his wife Janet are bringing a sigh of relief to seniors in Greeley and surrounding areas such as Evans, Windsor, and Milliken by starting True Blue Total House Care of Greeley. True Blue provides a variety of total house care and handyman maintenance services to communities across the nation. Services include seasonal work, yard maintenance, deck building, bathroom and kitchen remodeling, and more. Monday marks the grand opening for True Blue in Greeley. The Sloans have eight customers going into their first official week of business, Jeff said. True Blue's mission and values, being a trusted and accessible ally to customers, match Jeff and Janet's mission and values in life. 
Both the company and the Sloan's desire to protect customers, their most valued assets, and their homes has created a seemingly perfect fit and addition to the Greeley community. True Blue's emphasis on seniors. In 2016, Jeff retired from the military after 25 years of service in the Air Force, which brought his family to Greeley. The Sloans then opened up Christian Brothers Automotive at 6601 29th Street in Greeley, but have since sold the company to a friend. After selling their auto care company, the couple was on the lookout for a new business venture, which is when they stumbled upon True Blue Total House Care. True Blue caught Janet and Jeff's eyes because they both have aging parents. As seniors get older, the maintenance and upkeep of homeownership become more difficult, Jeff explained. Jeff's dad, in particular, was on top of total home care for most of his life, but now he physically can't handle the upkeep anymore. As a result, Jeff considered moving his parents into a retirement home to avoid the burdens of home care. However, his parents wanted to stay in their homes. This is why True Blue has become a blessing for people like Jeff's parents, and why Jeff wanted to get involved with a company like True Blue. True Blue's business and model focuses on providing home care to the senior community, allowing them to age in place. The company's home modifications and maintenance help seniors with day-to-day activities, chores, and more so they can stay in their homes longer. What I liked about True Blue is it really allows them to do that with dignity in their own home, a sense of independence, and also safety, Jeff said. Another large component the company brings to the senior community is safety via the Senior Home Safety Assessment. The Sloans are certified home safety experts who can assess homes for hazards among the senior population. After the assessment, they can make safety improvements to the home, such as installing a grab bar or adequate lighting. Community-Centered Business While part of True Blue's mission is marketed to seniors, Jeff said the company can help people in any stage of life. In addition to seniors, he's seen a huge opportunity to serve families and professionals at the height of their careers who have busy schedules. The need is high for these types of people because they might find it beneficial to let True Blue's team mark off some of their to-do list items, whether it be patching a hole in the wall or repairing a deck. They can really provide peace of mind and worry-free living to homeowners while preparing and maintaining their home throughout every stage of life, Jeff said about True Blue. Lending a helping hand to community is what attracted the Sloans to becoming business owners in the first place, Jeff said. When he owned Christian Brothers Automotive, he gave back to the community through his services on many occasions, from free oil changes for single mothers to veterans' outreach. To Jeff, True Blue is another chance to continue giving back, whether it's assisting a senior or a busy family. My wife and I really like serving the community and giving back to the community through our businesses, Jeff said. That's where our hearts are. Erasing stigma through one call handles all. True Blue is a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to home care, according to Jeff, meaning the company's services eliminate the need for a person to call several different vendors to fix home problems. Whether the home problems are big or small, one problem or 50, the Sloans can come to a person's house to assist with any kind of maintenance or upkeep. With True Blue, one call handles it all.
Jeff said. Providing a one-stop shop for home care to the community is important because of the stigma surrounding people who work in the home and maintenance care field. Similar to the auto care business, Jeff said there is a stigma surrounding contractors and people who provide house care services, something True Blue works to tackle through honest, trustworthy, and empathetic service. Every time we go into a home, we basically treat it like it's our own, Jeff said. We totally understand that a home is a treasured possession where memories are made. We take that and we focus on the needs of every single customer or client. We empathize with each situation. For more information, contact Jeff at 970-978-1592 or go to truebluehousecare.com slash Greeley. Child Exploitation Sentencing date set for former Greeley Central teacher by Morgan McKenzie, M-M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E at GreeleyTribune.com. A former Greeley Central High School teacher who pleaded guilty to sexual exploitation of a minor on November 21 will appear for a sentencing hearing today. Ken Magruder, 58, appeared for a status conference Wednesday afternoon after his sentencing hearing was delayed in late January. The delay derived from his defense attorney, Melanie Sedlak, requesting more time to work out the legalities of the case. At Wednesday's status conference, the court resolved the issues, which involved Magruder's probation and plea agreement. After Prosecutor Tim McCormack conversed with the Weld County Probation Department, he emailed Sedlak, explaining he would have to send a separate plea agreement to match the probation request, she said. Sedlak objected due to concerns about the probation department asking Magruder to sign probation terms and conditions inconsistent with the court's orders. She requested further clarification. McCormack clarified he was prepared to move forward to sentencing with the original plea agreement paperwork. Once the court resolved the legalities, Sedlak requested additional time before sentencing, which Weld Judge Vicente Vigil granted. In April 2022, Greeley police arrested Magruder on school grounds. He was booked into the Weld County Jail on suspicion of two counts of sexual exploitation of a minor. Shortly after, he posted a $50,000 surety bond. At a November hearing, one of the counts was dropped when he pleaded guilty to one count of the Class 5 felony. Following Magruder's plea deal back in November, Vigil ruled he is allowed contact with his own children and grandchildren, but not children younger than 18, without another adult present. He is also restricted from using the Internet. Magruder is expected to receive no further jail time after pleading guilty to sexual exploitation of a minor. He faces three years as a registered sex offender. Up until his resignation, Magruder worked at Greeley Central since 1991. He taught social studies and served as manager of District 6 Stadium. Magruder became a suspect when Greeley police began an investigation into a tip from Yahoo, Inc. The tip accused Magruder of being in possession of child pornography after multiple images of child pornography were shared from IP addresses belonging to Weld County School District 6. On December 30, 2021, District 6 placed Magruder on leave when the allegations arose. He resigned shortly after. There is no indication a District 6 student was a victim in this case, according to District 6 officials. 
Magruder has a sentencing hearing 1 p.m. today in Weld District Court. Greeley-Evans School District 6. District officials set timeline webpage for book complaints by Ann Delaney, A-D-E-L-A-N-E-Y, at GreeleyTribune.com. A Greeley-Evans School District 6 committee is expected to soon release its recommendation on the first of 15 book titles under review based on complaints received from parents and district residents. District 6 Chief of Communications Teresa Myers said Tuesday afternoon the 22-person book review committee could issue its report on Beloved by Toni Morrison during the week of March 6. The report will be received by District 6 Superintendent Deidre Pilk, who will then have 30 days to review the recommendation. Pilk may either support the recommendation or make a suggestion to alter the recommendation, she said Monday evening during a District 6 Board of Education meeting. The committee's report, Pilk's review, and other information on the book review process, including a tentative timeline, will be posted on the district website at www.greeleyschools.org slash page slash 26613, or by selecting Academic Achievement under Departments on the district homepage, then Public Concerns slash Complaints about Instruction Resources on the left side of the page. Parents and district residents who filed complaints will receive letters on the district's decision on the books, Pilk said. Complainants who are dissatisfied with Pilk's decision then have 10 days to make an appeal to the Board of Education. According to the tentative timeline, the committee will review books through June 2024. All members of the committee are reading each book. Myers said the committee has at least three meetings for each book, when they begin the book, when they meet for public comment, and then to discuss the material. The committee will next review... The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexi. Myers said the listed timelines might be generous, given that the committee is a volunteer group. The committee is being led by retired assistant superintendent Wes Tuttle. Tuttle, who continues to work part-time, spent more than 30 years in District 6 and retired in 2022 as the assistant superintendent for elementary and K-8 leadership. District 6 Legal Counsel Nathan Fall and retired District 6 Administrator Diana Riley are two other facilitators of the committee. The committee is reviewing the books to determine if the materials should require parent consent for access, as requested in the complaints. Even though a parent can go to a school and say, I don't want my kid accessing books, Myers added. Since books have been a topic of discussion in the district, Parents and residents speaking out about books they deem inappropriate have said they are not in favor of banning books. Some have said they simply want the right to decide if their children should be able to access certain materials. The other books the committee will review are Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Fair, Kite Runner by Khaled Hosseini, Sloppy Firsts by Megan McCafferty, 19 Minutes by Jody Picoult, Real Life Boyfriends by E. Lockhart, More Happy Than Not by Adam Silvera, A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Moss, Almost Perfect by Brian Catcher, The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl by Jesse Andrews, 
This One Summer by Mariko Tamaki, The Truth About Alice by Jennifer Matthew, and Tricks by Ellen Hopkins. Myers said the books might be available on shelves in libraries as well as being taught as part of curriculum. She said she doesn't know if any of the books are currently being taught. Some have been part of advanced placement literature classes, but she does not know which among the books fit into that category. Well, Judge sentences man to 60 years for October 2020 murder. A 23-year-old will spend 60 years behind bars for shooting and killing a Greeley man in October 2020. On Monday, well, Judge Vicente Vigil imposed the maximum sentence of 60 years in the Colorado Department of Corrections for Michael Hernandez, 23, according to a Weld County District Attorney's Office news release. A jury this past week convicted Hernandez of one count of second-degree murder and one count of engaging in a riot. His case dates back to October 29, 2020 when Greeley police responded to a shooting in the 1100 block alley between 11th and 12th streets. Officers found 27-year-old Maurice Maestas lying on the ground with a gunshot wound to his head. Maestas was later pronounced dead at a hospital. At the time of the shooting, Hernandez was on probation for a 2018 burglary case, the release said. He also pleaded guilty to attempted first-degree murder in 2017. It's clear from his consistent, violent behavior that this defendant has zero respect for human life or for the law, Chief Deputy District Attorney Anthony Perea said in the release. This was completely senseless and has destroyed so many lives. Though nothing will bring back our victim, we hope this lengthy prison sentence will send a clear message to the community that we absolutely will not tolerate this type of senseless behavior. Perea and Deputy District Attorney Chandler Kroom prosecuted this case. Representative Mary Young to host Town Hall on Housing for People with Disabilities Colorado Representative Mary Young will host a town hall meeting on Saturday to discuss issues related to housing for people with disabilities. The meeting is set for 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Saturday at the University of Northern Colorado University Center, Columbine A Suite. A virtual option will also be available on Zoom. To register for the virtual option, go to bit.ly slash capital T, capital H, capital M, Zoom. Speakers, including Young, will discuss issues surrounding housing for people living with disabilities, including the challenges of aging, according to an event flyer. The meeting comes after Adeo's announcement to renovate Hope Apartments into a supportive living program for people with brain injuries. The repurposing of the facility requires 28 residents, including many who are disabled, to find new places to live by July 1. The featured speaker of the event is Greeley City Councilman Tommy Butler. Additional speakers include Colorado Representative David Ortiz, Greeley Assistant City Manager Juliana Kitten, Adeo Executive Director Sarita Reddy, and more. Coffee and light snacks will be provided. District 6 and Friends Art Walk features nearly 30 locations. The 7th Annual District 6 and Friends Art Walk is set for 5 to 8 p.m. today at nearly 30 locations in downtown Greeley. The evening will feature artwork from hundreds of students in kindergarten through 12th grades at District 6 charter and non-charter schools, 
as well as works from students at the University of Northern Colorado and Ames Community College. Seventeen performances from bands, orchestras, choirs, and a dance troupe will be presented at three different locations. Atlas Theater and John Galt Coffee on 16th Street, Hensel Phelps Theater in the Union Colony Civic Center, the Montfort Concert Hall in the UCCC, and St. Patrick Presbyterian Church on 10th Avenue. Greeley Evans School District 6 describes the Art Walk as a one-of-a-kind First Friday event. March is National Youth Art Month in the U.S. Art from students at Greeley Central and Greeley West High Schools will be on display March 3-20 through 20 at the Toynton Gallery in the Union Colony Civic Center. The exhibit is free and open to the public during regular Greeley Recreation Center business hours and for ticket holders during UCCC performances. The gallery will host an opening reception tonight during the arts walk hours. Light refreshments will be available. The Art Walk started in 2016 with former Eaton School District and Greeley Central art teacher Patty Pice-Jones, who had a vision, dream, and desire to bring art into the Greeley community. Severance Middle School Drama Club to perform Monty Python's Spamalot Younger at Part. The Severance Middle School Drama Club is performing Monty Python's Spamalot Young at Part at the Severance High School Auditorium in Severance. The first performance was Thursday, and additional performances are set for 6 p.m. today and 2 p.m. Saturday. The doors open 30 minutes before showtime. Tickets are $5 for students and senior citizens, 65 and older, and $7 for adults. Tickets are available at the door. Cash and credit cards will be accepted. Kathy Verbila, a music and theater teacher at Severance Middle School and Drama Club director, is directing the show. Spamalot, Young at Part, is the authorized 60-minute edition of the award-winning Broadway musical comedy Spamalot, but reworked for elementary, middle school, and youth theaters, according to Theatrical Rights Worldwide. Theatrical Rights Worldwide is a plays and musicals licensing company. Young at Part musicals are made for younger actors, with song keys changed where needed and songs and scenes edited for time and content according to the Theatrical Rights Worldwide website. The middle school adaptation retells the legend of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table. On Broadway, Spamalot won three Tony Awards in 2005, including for Best Musical. The show was lovingly ripped off from the 1975 film Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Police, 56-year-old man struck by vehicle dies at hospital. The Greeley Police Department Traffic Unit is leading an investigation into the death of a man struck by a vehicle Saturday in Greeley. On Saturday, the Greeley Police Department, Greeley Fire Department, and emergency medical technicians responded to the intersection of 26th Avenue and 10th Street on reports a vehicle struck a pedestrian, according to a Greeley Police news release. On arrival, officers found a pedestrian, a 56-year-old man, with serious injuries. He was taken to a hospital where he was pronounced dead a short time later. Pending next-of-kin notifications, the Weld County Coroner's Office will release the identity of the pedestrian at a later date. Due to the severity of the collision, Greeley's traffic unit is conducting an ongoing investigation. At this time, Alcohol and drugs do not appear to be a factor, according to the release. 
The 60-year-old woman who drove the vehicle stayed on the scene after striking the man. She is cooperating with the investigation, police said. In addition, several witnesses remained on the scene to speak with officers. If anyone has information about this case, Greeley police asked them to contact Officer Eddington at 970-350-9605. Suspected Arson Homicide Suspects Set for Separate Court Hearings by Morgan McKenzie, M. McKenzie at GreeleyTribune.com One of the women accused of killing a 35-year-old Greeley man and lighting his house on fire in October 2021 has a disposition hearing conference set for April, while the other will appear in court today. Husana Varela, 24, appeared in person for a disposition hearing Tuesday afternoon before Weld Judge Vicente Vigil. Her defense attorneys, Havila Lilly and Keith Coleman, requested an additional disposition. Greeley police arrested Varela and 21-year-old Stacy Rodriguez in November 2021 on suspicion of first-degree murder, arson, and burglary, as well as charges of tampering with evidence. Varela's and Rodriguez's case dates back to October 3, 2021, when a caller reported a large house fire in the 2400 block of 15th Avenue Court. The caller believed the 35-year-old Chris Dickerson, the home's resident, was still inside when reporting the fire. Upon the arrival of Greeley police and fire, the home was fully engulfed in flames, resulting in a total loss. Inside the home, near the front entrance, first responders found the body of Dickerson located on the floor. His body was burned beyond recognition. Dickerson also had stab wounds on his neck. The Weld County Coroner's Office ruled his cause of death as homicide due to an autopsy revealing he died before the fire started. Police reviewed video surveillance from 11 downtown businesses and footage from the residents during their investigation. Footage captured Varela and Rodriguez interacting with Dickerson in downtown Greeley. It also showed they were at his residence on the morning of the fire. In March, Mikhail Peraglia, prosecutor for both Varela and Rodriguez's cases, requested the court to keep the women's cases together. However, Rodriguez's defense attorney, Ashley Sullivan, objected. The hearings have since been scheduled separately. Rodriguez has a hearing set for 1.30 p.m. today. Varela will appear for another disposition hearing at 10 a.m. April 11. Development. Loveland planners okay Draper and Garage, but frown on Sentara South. By Dallas Heltzel, BizWest Prairie Mountain Media. Developers of the proposed 148-acre Sentara South project may have to return to the drawing board. The Loveland Planning Commission gave a green light Monday for construction to begin on the Draper Heartland Project and the adjacent Jefferson Parking Structure in downtown Loveland, but recommended to the City Council against approving the site plan for Sentara South, which would rise south of U.S. Highway 34 across from the marketplace at Sentara. The Commission's 5-2 vote against the site plan is a non-binding resolution, and the City Council could approve it anyway. Moreover, Loveland Urban Renewal Authority consultant Andrew Arnold had written to the panel recommending approval. However, the planning panel's majority felt the plan, as submitted by developer McQuinney Real Estate Services, 
wasn't complete and wasn't in conformance with the city's comprehensive plan. It also didn't meet the requirements for blight designation that a property needs to qualify for urban renewal, according to the majority, even though McQuinney's consultant said it meets five of 11 blight criteria, one more than is needed to qualify. The Santerra South Plan includes a 40,000-square-foot Whole Foods grocery store in the northeast corner of the development, smaller than the chain's 71,000-square-foot store at 2201 South College Avenue in Fort Collins. The development also includes 298,083 square feet of commercial development, including the grocery, plus 1,075 housing units, most of which will be in multifamily and duplex units. The Draper, Heartland, and Jefferson project got a more favorable reception. Loveland planners approved the Draper mixed-use development along with a height exception for the adjacent parking garage. The five-story Draper building, at the corner of 4th and Lincoln Streets, will incorporate five existing buildings and, when complete, will comprise 108,925 square feet, with 96 residential units and 14,559 square feet of commercial space. The four-and-a-half-story garage at the corner of 5th Street and Jefferson Avenues will include parking spaces for the 96 Draper residential units plus 171 spaces for the general public. Planners on Monday approved a variance from the downtown zoning rules limiting structures to 70 feet in height. The variance will allow the garage's northeast stair tower to rise to 75 feet 8 inches, while the stair tower on the southwest tower will be 74 feet 1 inch tall. Unlike the panel's Sentara South negative recommendation to the City Council, approval of the Draper and Jefferson structures constituted final city approval. No timeline for construction to begin was presented on Monday, but the Draper and Jefferson structures are to be built nearly simultaneously because the parking structure is needed to accommodate the residential parking needs for Draper's tenants. This article was first published by BizWest, an independent news organization, and is published under a license agreement, copyright 2023, BizWest Media, LLC. Santerra, in and out closes on property in Loveland by Ken Amundsen, Biz West Prairie Mountain Media. in and out Burgers has closed on property at 1450 Fall River Drive in Santerra for the development of a restaurant. Larimer County property records show that in and out Burgers, headquartered at 13502 Hamburger Lane in Baldwin Park, California, purchased the 1.38 acre property for $1.3 million in a deal that was recorded February 17. The site was previously occupied by a Mimi's restaurant, which has not been open for multiple years. That restaurant was built in 2004 and was 7,449 square feet. in and out will be 3,800 square feet with an attached patio. Plans for the building, which still are under review in the City of Loveland current planning office, show a lengthy drive-through lane along the south perimeter of the property that will hold 21 cars. The restaurant's application was filed in January, and dates remain uncertain as to when approvals might be granted. It does not require public review. In-N-Out has often drawn large crowds to its restaurants, although a site in southeast Colorado Springs on Saturday had only four or five cars in its lineup. This article was first published by BizWest, an independent news organization, and is published under a license agreement. Copyright 2023, BizWest Media, LLC. 
5A Girls Basketball Windsor Defeats Mead in Quarterfinals by Bobby Fernandez B-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z at GreeleyTribune.com When you have a superior amount of confidence, swagger, and discipline, as the Windsor Girls Basketball team does, you're not afraid to try something completely new, even when your season is on the line in the final rounds of the postseason. Coach Karen Nichols and her Wizards squads have proven as much during past runs deep into the state tournament. So, while other teams might be tempted to just stick to what they are most familiar with when sitting in a one-possession game with a whole half of basketball left to be played, Windsor flipped the script. Determined to cut down Meade's relentless interior driving game, the Wizards shifted to a 2-3 zone they had just spent a handful of minutes practicing this season. The Bulls' strategy worked, as fourth-seeded Windsor slowed the fifth-seeded Mavericks' dangerous offense just enough to secure a 44-41 win in Thursday's quarterfinals of the Class 5A Girls Basketball State Tournament at the Denver Coliseum. We had the 2-3 and three in our back pocket, I didn't think we would have to use it as quickly as we did coming out of halftime, Nichols said, but they executed it perfectly. Our goal was to keep the Mavericks a little bit confused. We switched back to a man just enough to throw them off. With the victory, the Wizards improved to 19-7 and and advanced to a semifinals date against upset-minded 8th seed Glenwood Springs, 19-7, and at 5.45 p.m. Thursday back at the Denver Coliseum. A win against the Demons would place Windsor in a girls' basketball state title game for the third consecutive season. The Wizards were the runner-up to Mullen the past two years in 4A. Windsor may not have to worry about Mullen next week. The Mustangs played in the new 6A classification this season. Nonetheless, the potential path to their second state title in program history, their first since 1994, isn't likely to be any less difficult for the Wizards next week. Then again, the path hasn't exactly been easy so far, evidenced by the nip-and-tuck, grinded-out affair Thursday against a Meade squad that Windsor split a pair of league games against during the regular season. Though the Wizards quickly took the lead behind their 2-3 and three zone, to open the second half, the Mavericks remained with a pair of baskets the rest of the way, trailing just 40-38 to 38 with 2 minutes 45 seconds left. This was a big win and we're very happy about it, but we also know the job is not done, Windsor senior guard Haley Wright said. I don't want to come short in second place again. I don't want three second place trophies. I'm over second place. I want a first place trophy this year. 5A Boys Basketball Our boys came up clutch. Windsor composed down the stretch to top Longmont in quarterfinals. By Bobby Fernandez. B. Fernandez at GreeleyTribune.com As the likes of senior Clayton Wright and freshman Madden Smiley stepped to the free throw line in the waning moments of Windsor boys' basketball quarterfinals game against Longmont, they and their Wizards teammates performed like they had been there before. The frustrating part over the past couple of years, this particular group of Windsor basketball players hadn't really been in this particular situation before. The Wizards have routinely entered the postseason with high expectations in recent years. 
only to see their playoff runs end prematurely. On Thursday at the Denver Coliseum, third-seeded Windsor assured it would be one of the final teams standing in the Class 5A boys basketball playoffs with a 62-56 win against number 11 Longmont, a team the Wizards went 1-1 against during the regular season. There are a lot of teams that are at home, wishing they were here, and we've been in that boat before. Windsor coach John Rakiecki said, You take your lumps. This program has seen some heartbreak. We went through that and came out on the other side. And now we're victorious. Windsor will strive for two more victories during the final week of the season. Windsor improved to 22-4, winning its 16th consecutive game and punching its ticket to a semifinals date with number 2 Mesa Ridge, 26-0, at 7.15 p.m. March 10, back at the Denver Coliseum. The Grizzlies advanced to the round of four with a 65-55 win against number 7 Dakota Ridge, 21-5, on Thursday. Regardless of what happens in next week's semifinals, the Wizards have already shaken a bit of monkey off their backs by advancing to the final two rounds of the five-round 32-team state tournament. A year ago, Windsor was the eighth seed and advanced only to the second round, the round of 32, of the 4A state tournament, suffering an upset in its first playoff action following a first-round bye. Two years ago, the Wizards were the top seed but fell in the round of eight. This year, they weren't going to be denied their chance to play during the final couple days of the season, despite some tense moments in Thursday's quarterfinal. Neither team led by more than two baskets until Windsor went on a run that spanned the third and fourth quarters, taking a 55-47 lead on Wright's free throw with three minutes 41 seconds left. Longmont struck right back, continuing its game-long hot perimeter shooting to cut the gap to 55-53 to with 2 minutes 19 left. The Wizards didn't buckle, converting defensive stops and opportunities at the free throw line in crunch time. We've been preparing for these moments, Windsor senior swingman David Hegman said. Our boys came up clutch. Clayton, Madden, John Reed... They made their free throws. It just felt great. 5A Girls Basketball Roosevelt advances to state semifinals by Bobby Fernandez. B. Fernandez said GreeleyTribune.com Second-seeded Roosevelt survived a quarterfinal scare, hedging number 7 Air Academy 51-47 in the third round of the Class 5A Girls Basketball State Tournament Thursday morning at the Denver Coliseum. With the victory, the powerhouse Rough Riders improved to 24-2 and will face number 3 Durango, 23-2, in the semifinals on Thursday. Against Air Academy, Roosevelt faced a sizable early game deficit, falling behind 22-10 in the first quarter. The Rough Riders chipped away, outscoring the cadets 18-8 in the second quarter to trail just 30-28 at halftime. Roosevelt methodically pulled away in the second half, outscoring Air Academy 12-9 in the third quarter and 11-8 in the fourth. With the win, the Rough Riders have advanced one step further than they did the previous year for the second consecutive year. A year ago, they made it to the 4A quarterfinals before falling to eventual champion Mullen 49-27, ending a 22-4 season. Two years ago, 
Roosevelt made it to the second round of the 4A playoffs. The Rough Riders are in pursuit of their third finals appearance, their first since 2003, and their first girls basketball state title in school history. Bobby Fernandez covers high school sports for the Greeley Tribune. Reach him at 970-392-4478 or by email at bfernandez at greeleytribune.com or on Twitter at Bobby D. Fernandez. And now it's time for Jumble, that scrambled word game. Unjumble the letters to make a proper word. The clue letters in each of these answers becomes the jumbled letters to answer the puzzle. The cartoon is a clue to the jumble where the answer is typically a pun or word that is pronounced the same as another word but differs in meaning. First word, S-U-E-G-S. Clue letters are one and three. M-E-T-O-P. Clue letters are one and four. Third word, C-E-R-A-A-D. Clues are four, five, and six. Fourth word, K-E-R-E-A-U. Clue letters are two and three. The cartoon depicts two women sitting on a couch. The first woman, holding a baby and petting a large dog, says, They're great with the kids. They had the same mother as Aunt Jill's dogs. The second woman says, I grew up with Goldens, too. In the foreground is a baby sleeping on the side of a dog which is smiling at the baby. Purebred golden retrievers are great with kids, which the whole family, quote, three letters hyphen six letters, close quotes. And the answers to last week's puzzle are world, local, sleigh, and waffle. The two competing in the golf tournament were fellow fellows. Gene Phillips. Dear Abby, woman's living arrangement leaves her feeling trapped. Dear Abby, I live with my longtime boyfriend, George, and his father, Frank. Frank is not your average 88-year-old. He does almost everything anyone in their 60s would do. However, he's used to us having dinner for him at the same time every night, because he's very regimented about everything. Frank gets everything taken care of and never has to worry about a thing. He pretty much keeps to himself. We have a coffee machine that's easy to use, but Frank expects us to have his coffee at a specific time as well. He refuses to even try to make it himself, which means we can't sleep in, even if we want to. We are retired. I hate that Frank lives with us because it has caused a lot of problems between George and me. I feel trapped. If I have a disagreement with Frank, George always takes his father's side. We cannot financially have Frank in his own place either. I own a third of our house, no mortgage. All three of us depend on our Social Security for household expenses, and Frank pays the insurance on the cars. I feel that as much as I do for them, I should get some backup. Feeling used in Florida. Dear Feeling Used, If you haven't told George how trapped and unhappy you feel, you should. If you are the maid, cook, and laundress, perhaps it's time he assumed responsibility for his father. 
suggest he invest in an automatic coffee maker that can be set for a specific time the night before Frank's morning coffee is expected. That way, you can sleep in if you wish. From your letter, it's clear to me your problems with the men in your life go beyond coffee duty. If you are truly unhappy with this arrangement, which predictably won't last forever, consider consulting with an attorney or a financial advisor about how to access the money you have invested in that house so you can live independently. Dear Abby, my wife and I had an excellent relationship that involved a lot of partying. After I was injured on the job, I became addicted to painkillers, which resulted in a 20-year battle with addiction. Over the years of trying unsuccessfully to get sober, I asked my wife to slow down her drinking to help me get sober. She refused, and ultimately, our marriage fell apart. We decided to stay together until our kids were out of school, and, wouldn't you know, no sooner did we separate than I was able to get sober. I know it wasn't her fault I was addicted. I think I'm probably better off getting divorced, but I still love her, and I'm curious if you think we should end it or give it another try. Sober Guy in Massachusetts Dear Sober Guy, To drink or not to drink is a choice. If your wife was unwilling to sacrifice imbibing in order to help you overcome your addiction, you were right to separate from her. Congratulations on your sobriety. If you wish to maintain it, follow through with that divorce. You have my sympathy. I hope you find someone more supportive in the years to come. Contact Dear Abby at www.dearabby.com. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, March 3, 2023 edition of the Greeley Tribune. My name is Thomas Fears. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.